0: Yates on Sunday.
1: Brought to you by SSE Electricity Business Energy. Proud to power businesses all over Ireland. Energy at work for you.
0: Every week at this time, I introduce you to someone to have a considered chat of 25, 26 minutes, uh, which is not your normal on radio or TV, to get behind uh, the persona, uh, to find out about the person and to learn about how we need to face our nation's problems. Today, it's a great pleasure to introduce a man who is economist, but really a rock star economist, a writer, a journalist, a broadcaster, a so prolific in terms of being an economic advisor the only way I can adequately describe David McWilliams is as a global guru whatever that means he lectures in TCD as well David McWilliams you're most welcome good morning Ivan let's how are you let's get the commercial out of the way first you've gone on and on and on and not only about economics but now it's the Dawkey Book Festival and I was speaking to someone coming down on the train on Friday I was doing the Pat Kennedy show and she said I'm from Dawkey and I actually saw her doing a litter collection around Dawkey and she said this book festival Started off great, and so you could get in for a tenner Now it's gone so posh and so mega, and so you big. can get in for 11 quid. <laughs> <laughs> but you had, as a kickoff of it, it starts on Thursday, but as a kickoff of it, a big thing in the board gosh, um, st- 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 whatever you call it, auditorium there with Bernie Sanders.
1: Yeah, it was great. It was last Sunday. Uh, he came over very, very, it was a flying visit, it was uh, only about 24 hours, and uh, we had a fantastic, sold out gig. In the Board Gosh Theatre was two and a half thousand people there. We put the tickets. It's just interesting about how politics or certain types of politics go. Put the tickets on sale and they went in two minutes. So as I said, you know. And there, what did you learn sold. from What I learned from him is that the product is incredibly important, right? What he is, I mean, basically the message is the most important. What I learned from Sanders was that he is a lovely person. He's really good fun. He's got a great sense of humour. He's really quite humble for a guy who is intent on changing the Democratic Party in the United States. A guy who got almost half the delegates when the Clinton machine thought they had it wrapped up. And a guy who everybody believes, or at least most people believe, had he ran instead of Hillary, that he would have had a much better chance of toppling Trump. Or at least he wouldn't have lost those states to Trump. And that was the interesting thing. He was quite he was quite open about the fact that he thought a lot of the Trump supporters so the shorthand is the Trump supporters are racist and they're nationalists and they're nativist. He was saying, look, look, they are people who are hurting. They are people for whom the economy is not working. They can be described as angry white men, but he was saying, hold on a second, they're angry for a reason. And I thought it was really interesting. He was very much in the style of the United States is not Trump. Trump is a minority leader and ultimately the people who voted for Trump are the same sort of people who are voting for Corbyn, the same sort of people who voted for himself, Bernie said. They are people who are hurting and they have to be listened to. And I thought that was really interesting in the sense that he was much more kind of all-encompassing message. Uh, then a sort of a narrow gauge message. So now that you're hanging
0: out with Bernie and Varoufakis, you've taken a lunch uh, to the that's, left, that's have you? That's
1: a massive lurch to the left. No, but I, what is, what is interesting is, and you look at the UK, is that what the left are saying are the issues. The issues are of housing. The issues are precarious employment. The issues are not, this generation not being as well off as their parents. In the case of Ireland, that would be a first for the at least the last five generations. In the last five generations, every single generation was richer than their parents. This might not necessarily be okay, the case. And on
0: that, is that a throwback to the worst recession and anti-austerity? Or it's, is it
1: anti-globalisation? It's, it's, it's lots of things, Ivan. I think it's the way in which the, the world uh, globalisation has globalisation if you take globalisation means trade. Trade is always good for any country. But it's not always good for everyone in every country. So people get displaced, people's jobs go south, people factories move, etc. So unless you have a mechanism in the globalisation framework to redistribute income to people who lose out, then what you'll do is you'll find the political pendulum will swing, and rightly so, and I think rightly so. So we're seeing this all, all over the world, and it's not just austerity, but austerity, austerity hits poor people much more than rich people. That is the basic fact that needs to be drummed over again and again, because poor people depend on the welfare state more than rich people. And if the welfare state is cut back, they suffer. So then they feel they don't have a stake in society. And over time, increasingly, if they don't have a stake, they okay. think we have one thing. They have a okay. vote, Ivan. OK. And that's what happens.
0: All that makes perfect sense to me. But... In the Irish context, and I want to talk to you about Ireland Inc, I'm looking at 51% rate of tax on 33,800, a very low threshold. And you're saying, okay, we need to spend
1: more on health and education and
0: housing and all the rest. I'm saying, how do you, you know, surely there are other issues. You and I
1: know that this country is very wealthy. You and I know that labour, okay, tax wages are taxed too highly and they're taxed too highly at a very early stage. So you think, okay, if we've got to raise money, what do we raise it from? Well, if we decide to raise the lion's share from wages, then very, very clearly people, like people listening to the programme, will find themselves at modest wages paying ridiculously high levels of personal income tax. So you change that and you tax other things. So they won't pay for water. Well, that's a political failure.
0: Right. But that's,
1: I'm that's, saying that's the that's widening
0: not, of the tax base in terms of that sort You, you of need work. to
1: widen the tax base on the one hand. But the, the, the most important thing is to figure out, and this is what I'm always very interested in looking at all the shenanigans about, you know, the new government and the new cabinet and all that sort of stuff, is the most important thing is figure out what do we do in the world?
0: Ireland's in place, okay. what do we do?
1: Everyone's got to figure out, what do we do? How do we make a crust, right? Then once you figure out how to make a crust, you try and make a crust, and then you can say, okay, crust made, let's figure out how we can actually create a society around that. Now, what I find very interesting uh, is that a lot of the discussion in Ireland about the Department of Finance and all this sort of stuff is kind of a discussion about accountancy. You know, who gets a little bit of money? Who gives it here? Who gives it there? What I'd love to hear is the notion of the new Taoiseach and the people around him saying, "Okay, this is the 10-year plan for what we do. This is Ireland's calling card. This is what we do for a living. This is what we're good at. And this is how we're going to position ourselves in that globalised world where everybody, Ivan, everybody is in competition with everybody else. And what I hear, unfortunately, is sort of kind of low-rent accountancy which is, you know, oh, at the end of the day, the national accounts give us X amount of money to spend. We're going to spend this on this, that, and the other. So we're talking about what economists talk, the residual, the bit that falls out at the end, rather than the big picture. Okay. And I think, you know, when
0: well, I can look I, at, when can I I, but, that. but when I look at right. Ireland,
1: you know, and I, and I do travel around a lot, you know, there's so many things that are good in this country. There are so many things that actually work in this country. And we need such a small amount of, Well, let's say we need a few good decisions and you can get it right. I mean, you go to other countries, they are beset by massive problems, massive demographic problems, problems of poverty, problems of wealth distribution, all these things that we talk about. But if you look at the numbers, we're actually doing quite okay. And more importantly, it's difficult to see another country that over, let's say, a 40 year period. Has actually grown economically and spread okay. resources so much. So that's a good thing. And okay. we tend not to actually accept okay. that.
0: OK, so let's, let's go with a summary of what you've just said there. I've always believed the difference between Ireland, and America, and Britain was we can't live off our own consumption of 4.7 million. No, we have we've to. got to sell our services yeah. abroad. Right. Our strategy has been get the multinationals in here, give them a low tax rate, Apple and so on, and that's the strategy. We have our own natural resources and we have our tourism. Where is this, this, this kind of 10-year strategic approach you're saying that we're missing out on and should be the emphasis in terms of winning our share of world trade?
1: Well, well the way I look at it is, if you come back to your first point, it's absolutely the case here. Five-odd million cannot have a standard of living that we have. So you've got to trade. So consequently, there's no point trading with somebody if you've nothing to sell them. And that's why importing American corporations and American brands made here to sell to Europeans is a good idea. It strikes me that over the course of the next couple of years, there's two or three things going on. There's these three big relationships we have, one with the United States, one with the United Kingdom and one with the EU. And I regard them as being equal. I don't regard the EU as being any more are any less in the relationship with the UK. And I don't know the UK being any more or less in the relationship with the US and vice versa. So there's, basically we're kind of sitting on top of, of 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 a stool with three legs. Now the question then is, if you look to the United States, is there going to be any change in America which will profoundly impact on that strategy we have of bringing in American capital? And there probably will be because Trump has said, now he said a lot, but he has said that over time he will bring down the rate of corporation tax. And we think he can probably do that because the Republican Party is really behind that. Okay. Then we think okay, in the EU is there a problem? Is there anything going on? You say, well, Macron, who looks likely to win very handsomely today is a federalist. And he, you've
0: spent time in France.
1: Yeah, i spent a lot of time in France. And Macron, the interesting thing about Macron is, is, is that uh, he's a federalist. He, Macron's a populist like any, any other. He won't say anything that will endanger any constituency. That's his thing. But he does want to uh, accelerate European tax harmonization. We know that. Which we don't want. Which we don't want, right. And then, of course, with the UK, which is now, I don't think any country in my adult memory has been so badly affected by political and personal calculations than the UK in the last twelve months, whether it's Cameron Sorry, going.
0: Being collateral damage,
1: yeah. it, whether it's Cameron going for the for okay. the referendum or whether it's May going for the election. Okay. So, so we've got these three so what relationships. Do you think, okay, got so that. what's our this, strategy I going think, to be? I think what we should do. I think the relationship between the nation state okay, us, the sovereign state, and the corporate world is going to change over the next couple of years. In the sense that we have to come up with something quite different. Now if you look at the American multinationals now you've asked me a specific question. The American multinationals um earn a hundred billion dollars in profits in this country That's the last figures from the american uh, from from the American official statistics. They pay four billion in tax they're meant to pay twelve and a half paying twelve and a half so eight and a half is kind of missing there's a lot of money which is missing. so the question is, do we do what the European Commission wants, which is to come after them for every single cent? And in so doing, change profoundly the relationship, even if the relationship is in the grey? Or do we figure out something else? Now, I believe we've an amazing opportunity, and I'm working on this for in a different country, in a different context, uh, to say to the Americans, okay, you make a 100 billion in tax here, or or in profits, you pay four, there's eight missing, why don't you pay us that eight in stock? Okay, in stock. Because if you look at what the American corporations here, we have got the hundred most profitable corporations in the world operate here. I mean, we take shares, shares in their company? We take shares in their company and we put it into a sovereign wealth fund. Okay? Because the problem in Ireland is wealth. But it's not wealth at old people in retirement. It's wealth for young people. Young people don't have any wealth to start businesses. They don't have collateral. They don't have any start capital. They don't have any of that. And that's where the bottleneck is. So I could imagine... So stay with me. Stay with me. So you take the $8 billion, in shares, and you leave it. So they might solvent, say good luck and goodbye, and safe on the way home. We're out here because we only want to pay for. Why billion. would they do that? Suddenly, you're speaking their language. If you, you and I know that if you want to get to get people to do what you want, you solve their problems, right? You don't give them more problems. You solve their problem. Okay, so they have a problem. They make lots of money in Ireland, but the European Commission is after them. Okay, so what we say is we have a new strategy, and that those those shares which have think about how how enormous, the wealth contribution of the shares of Apple and Google and Facebook. And you put it in a wealth fund and that is a wealth fund for the country. So So, so, we regard regard the multinationals as like a one-off piece of good luck like the Norwegians did when they found oil. And you create permanently The problem with There is a very
0: innovative idea. And Uh, and, 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 and all you need is one
1: one
0: And so that's your response to, to, to Trump in terms of keeping the FDI and growing the FDI here. What's your response to
1: Brexit? Well... I think I've spoken to you before about this I am not as negative on the what I call the UK the English economy right it's not the UK economy it's the English economy because basically Scotland Wales and Northern Ireland are supplicants the English throw off the surplus and then they give it out to the regions that's that has been the deal uh, since the 1950s. And London is giving to Sunderland. And apparently. London is giving to Sunderland. But I mean they're, they're basically we're talking about the, the, the English economy here. I have not been as negative as many I mean when, when Brexit was voted in when it was last in the referendum, the official re- reaction in Ireland, the mainstream, was this calamity that, that Britain will collapse and, and, and they'll have an immediate recession and etc. Et et I, I, I never thought that was going mean, to happen. i sorry,
0: uh, a lot of people tell me in London, recession is just underway. Well, the point It is, may be delayed re- reaction.
1: Re- well, the point is, the point is I think the UK economy is stronger than most people think, okay? I don't think Brexit will derail the UK economy. But what Brexit does is it provides profound uncertainty. And uncertainty can be capitalised on by the country that offers certainty. And if the country that offers certainty and stability is living beside the UK, then clearly the 50-50 investment decisions that have been taken, not just by multinationals from America, but by British companies thinking, hold on a second, we're exporting to Europe. If this hard Brexit happens, you know what, we may well have to have a location elsewhere. Okay, we should be looking at Britain's uncertainty, insecurity and instability as a one off opportunity to actually open our doors. Because, again, when investment well, decisions... You know, when I can name deci- a litany
0: of insurance and finance but companies who looked Ivan, here, looked at Luxembourg, looked at Brussels and Amsterdam and, didn't, and Frankfurt okay. and didn't come here Ivan, because the property prices were too high and the marginal tax rates were too high.
1: Well, Ivan, I think, for example, when investment decisions are taken, they tend not to be reversed very quickly. So it's absolutely crucial that we look at this year, two, it could be three years, as a one-off golden opportunity. Now, with respect to the model rate, rates of taxation, if you're trying to get in people who make decisions in these big corporations, okay, right, not so much just we're going to get people in here and we're going to provide back office workers at above the minimum wage, that's that's, that's useless, carry on. That's not for us, right? It's tough, We're an expensive country. Everybody listening to the program knows we're a bloody expensive yeah. country. We're a wealthy country. We've got to have a wealthy strategy, Right. Okay, so we say we a want... A talent we, strategy. We, exactly. we want to, If you come in here, we want your decision makers. And if they say, well, our decision makers would love to leave Hong Kong or Britain or, or Holland where many of them are, but your marginal rate of taxes are too, too high, well, then what we should say is, okay, we have zero at the moment. So think about that. We have zero. So why not do what the Dutch do? And Holland is a very interesting, innovative country. And it's not a basket case and it's not a banana republic. It's a proper, sophisticated country. They have a special tax rate for expats, okay? They say, you come in, you pay 30% of your top income as an expat deal. Now, we should do exactly the same. And the reason I say we start at zero is that people say, wow, well, they're being treated differently to us. Well, I say, well, hold on a second. Look, 100% of zero is still zero, okay? If you can get in 50 new corporations. Okay. Then you begin the process of changing... Okay, I get the that
0: idea too. Just very specifically, as a former guy who worked in the central bank, one of the arguments being put forward in relation to financial services not coming here is that the central bank is too it's rigid. regulated yeah, what, what's your take on that?
1: Well, I've heard that, and I've heard that from people who are trying to bring companies here, and I've heard that from the street, and I've read it in the papers. Uh, I don't know the, the official strategy in the central bank, but it would seem to me that... Well, we did have light no. touch that went wrong. Yeah, we have. But the, one of the problems with, and you know, we we you know, uh, when when we had the light touch, I was very vocal in saying this was a problem. But the problem with anything, it's a bit, like, it's, like, it's a bit like people who you know who go drinking and they get hammered. And then they have a hangover and say, I'm never going to drink again. So you actually go from one extreme to the other, right? And never Don't drink again. Don't look at me when you're And then you say, never <laughs> drink again. And then Thursday night like, comes about nine o'clock and say, Jesus gives a glass of wine, right? Okay, <laughs> so you're all like, Monday morning, like never again, never again, right? So it's the same with regulation in, in, in many ways. So basically, what happens is you under-regulate and you get, ha- and you get caught over. and hammered. Then you over-regulate simply because that's human nature. And I think the central bank should set up a separate... But when I say a separate, I mean a real, like, like, like a sort of a crack unit that says, okay, we are going to take low-hanging fruit and we are going to talk to them and facilitate their entry into the Irish market. And if that means changing our basic rules, the one size fits all, well then so be it. We're small enough to do it. They've God knows they've enough people down the central bank now. I believe the central bank has expanded, mm. you know, in, in, in multitudes in exponentially. terms of exponentially. So but you're saying do, more
0: user friendly.
1: Absolutely. I mean, this is an opportunity. It's a bit like having a shop and everyone's knocking down the door and say, can I come in? And you say, no, sorry, I'm closed for lunch.
0: Let's talk about our domestic problems. Uh, housing. A uh, couple of questions. Is there a bubble? Uh, it seems to me that there isn't a credit fuel bubble, but there is a crisis of imbalance between supply and demand. Uh, People have known this since 2013, that we need to build, you know, ESRI 30,000, 40,000 houses a year. Where's the solution here?
1: Build council houses. Really simple. Okay, building houses seems to have been something that most societies have got the hang of and are able to do at a reasonable cost at a reasonable price to people, okay? This notion that we are getting ourselves tied in knots over this company and this company, of course, look, basically the problem with the market in terms of housing is that for people without houses, okay, if house prices rise, they don't have enough income to buy them. But for people with houses, if house prices fall, It impacts on their wealth to buy other things. So we're stuck in a generational and some would say serendipitous problem where those with houses and those without houses are actually advocating for two different things. As long as you decide that houses can only be provided in the private sector and can only be provided in the way in which I take out debt You give me money, I give that to the person who buys it. So basically, debt is at the core of all this. So once you take debt out of the equation, you begin to change housing totally. And the way in which you do this is you build council houses, as we built in the past. And you can call them social houses, you can call them mixed residents, what the hell you want. But at the end of the day, accommodation is the issue here, not housing. Take housing out of. of, Now, it's very interesting. Who pays? That's very, very interesting. Uh, You could, for example, everyone want a free house you then? could gay well that's not true actually a lot of people don't want free houses and that's the very interesting thing and that's what you come into human psychology and class and all those sort of other things but if the state is really serious about fixing the housing problem it has to then provide low cost houses initially at a loss to the state okay in the same way as it provides all sorts of things at a loss right and the, the reason it has to do is it has to change the market psychology totally. But you could very easily go to the credit unions and say, okay, credit unions, you're sitting on 14 billion of deposits for some bizarre reason, and Ivan, I don't know if you have the answer. I don't. The central bank has debarred the credit unions for operating in large-scale housing, okay? Yet, it's happy to facilitate vulture funds coming in and buying large-scale housing. Now, I can't understand that at all. Is that because of credit risk? But the credit risk has to be much, much, you know, basically, if you think about credit risk, poor people default much less than rich people. That's it. We know that, that poor people do not default as much as rich people. Right. So the, the notion that the credit unions have a massive credit risk is totally illogical and not in any way square with the evidence, because if you look at the banking system in terms of the banks collapsed, the credit unions did not collapse in the main. Two or three of them did Okay? But in general, the basic idea of you take a small amount of money from lots of people and you give out a small amount of money to lots of people tends to be a very good way of banking. When you give a lots of money to a small amount of people, they default and the whole thing goes. So let's come back to the credit unions. The credit unions is the, well it seems quite obvious to me, is the part of the solution. The credit unions need an income. Okay. Because if you give money to the credit union now and interest rates are at zero, the credit union can't give you any income back, any interest back. So why don't you use the credit unions and the money credit unions as the financer for a cooperative, cooperative, which is again done in the Netherlands and Mm. Austria, housing system, and you solve the problem.
0: Okay. Some quickies, because I just like to, you know, you do set yourself up as a pundit in terms of your predicted the, the crash and so on. Interest rates for the next three or five years stay as they are?
1: Go I, think they'll stay, I think they'll stay low as long as, as long as the European economy doesn't go gangbusters. And although it's recovering um it doesn't look as if it's recovering but any material but surely with the way.
0: fed and yeah, so on, they're all indicating that yeah, but the not, zero but, interest rate cycle but, yeah, is over yeah
1: yeah but i mean and that will cripple a lot of people we're not models. we're not we're not close to um, you know big single digit increases in interest rates so 2 3 4% the, the I, yeah, is very low. Three.
0: yeah yeah okay bubble or no bubble OECD there is says there, there, is, might be there a is no
1: bubble but that doesn't matter to people who are actually trying to get a house right a bubble is is only something that basically credit inflates the house prices, Ivan, and then the lack of credit. Credit disappears and the house prices fall off a cliff like happened here. That will, that will not happen, I don't think, because it doesn't seem right now that there's credit in. But again, Ivan, think about AIB has been sold, etc. Banks are in the business of lending money. They go bust if they don't lend money. So the banks need to be in the position over the next four or five years to increase their lending to people. So as long as we have debt at the middle of the housing market, as I said at the top, okay, you're going to obviously increase the risks that you get a crash again. Global economy,
0: um, there's different views. that America's heating up, that China's teetering on the edge of a crash. What's your sense of the the, global global economy? economy Is it steady, fair? Yeah,
1: uh, it seems to be be steady. It seems to be fair. Um, Because the quantitative easing has to end. It has to end. But I mean, again, it could. There's no reason to believe that quantitative easing and its end, needs to necessarily presage a recession. There's no reason to believe that. People say the stock markets in the United States look a little bit overvalued if interest rates were to rise. My big fear is that Trump, having gone after the CIA, will go after the Fed. And this is an interesting issue. And, it's and not we could talk spend
0: about. an hour on that. I'll give you t- 30 seconds to plug the docky, whatever it is.
1: The docky, whatever it is, <laughs> Ivan. 30 seconds. We've gone from selling 800 tickets to 13,000 in six years. So it's growing very, very rapidly and we have an extraordinary bunch of people. One of the people uh, who have just finished a book by is the guy who won the Booker Prize, the last Booker Prize, Marlon James, a Jamaican writer. Uh, we were really lucky to get him. He's over on Saturday evening. He's been interviewed by a no mate of yours, Mariella Foster up, Ivan, and uh, I suspect that will be a wonderful, wonderful event. We also have, on politics, we have an amazing uh, event on Friday morning, Called A Citizen of Nowhere, which is what Theresa May called the people who voted to remain. And David Goodhart has written probably the best selling political book in the UK at the moment called A Citizen of Somewhere and A Citizen of Nowhere. Really interesting. What's your website? DawkyBookFestival.org.
0: My thanks to the inimitable, energetic, intellectually superb David McWilliams. Thank you with all your many hats on long. May you continue to prosper.
1: Yates on Sunday. Brought to you by SSE Electricity Business Energy. Proud to power businesses all over Ireland. Energy at work for you.